again. <laughs> that was kind of a bad laugh. <laughs> Talking about spiritual warfare, so. <laughs> um, it's going to be a good class, I hope and pray. And I want to open up the conversation portals to say, let's talk. Because my plan is to not just do this this week, but to leave it open. And if we go into next week and we go into next week, we need to talk about this topic. Um, let me start with a subject that comes around every year for probably most pastors. Halloween. Better not say it. Better not do it. Better not look at pumpkins. The whole nine, right? But let me start with that idea by introducing you to, first of all, what the Apostle Paul said, that no day is holier than another, and we shouldn't call it that way. And let me also say that the origins of Easter are pagan. Did you know that? They are a holiday that, cel that celebrated the god Ishtar, and many of the um, traditions from the egg to the chocolate have roots in the pagan world, cultism. Now, I say that also to say Christmas as well has pagan roots. But also, before Easter was pagan, it was Christian and then pagan and then Christian. Christmas had this cycle. I will read you a very interesting quote, and I'm glad I remember my glasses tonight. This was uh, from a Catholic priest, Pope Gregory uh, the Pope, which, you know, if you've been in Bible studies here at Greater Life much, Catholics don't get much right, but I like this one. Um, Pope Gregory said he headed the church in A.D. 590, and he advised a missionary that was going to England that instead of trying to do away with the religious customs of non-Christian people, they should simply convert them to a Christian religion for uh, to the Christian religion. And then, for example, the site of the pagan temple could be converted to become a Christian church. The idea is that what we see in the physical is limited to what we see in the physical. But there's always spiritual implications to it. Let me then say that the roots of Halloween were pagan first, and then Christian, and now pagan again. So what's the deal? What's the role for the church, the Christian, the believer? I have taken an approach to be like, I guess, Apostle Paul in this sense, that you realize that it is not our responsibility as Christians to condemn the non-Christian. Right? It is our responsibility to judge one another in sin. What do you do with those things that aren't sinful clearly in Scripture? Well, Paul talks about that. Some can eat off uh, food offered to idols and some cannot. Do not condemn those that do and do not eat in front of those that feel convicted to cause them to stumble. You with me? So for the believer, I have taken an approach over the years in ministry that not only are we, of course, not going to celebrate Halloween from an evil standpoint, but it's comical in this right. Let me just put this out there. We don't celebrate it, but we have festivals at the church and call them something else. We don't touch jack-o'-lanterns, but then we have pumpkins for sale at that local festival. <laughs> we don't do the candy trick-or-treating. We just put them in trunks. I mean, how foolish does that seem? So we don't celebrate it, but we do. Are you with me? Now, you do not see, what you do not see is non-believers running around at Christmas time saying, we won't dare participate in this particular holiday. Now, militant atheists, yes, of course. 
But let me just make a statement. Sometimes we get hung up on things and we begin to throw stones at people, even believers. How could you do this, that, and the other? Don't you know you're involved in witchcraft? Now, what have we learned about Jesus' teaching regarding sin? That it is not the act anymore. It is the intent and the mind. You with me? So what is the believer's response? I'm putting this out there as a pastor who, growing up for years, was forbidden to do anything fun in the month of October. You with me? And then I realized that there was free candy in my neighborhood. I'm going to play outside. (laughs) This kid grew up after he finally got the hack, getting neighborhood candy and church candy. You with me? For us, because the reality is that in our nation, Halloween is a celebration of darkness and evil and death. You agree with all that, right? So as a parent and as a believer, do not allow those things into your life, to your home. But also, don't be weird. I am under the impression that if you're home, don't be the only house that's weird. How about welcome your unbelieving neighbors with a smile and a Snickers and maybe break down the wall? There's no witchcraft in the Snickers. Are you with me? Yeah, especially Snickers. But also, I'm just, I'm proving, I'm trying to bring us to a point. There are people that celebrated it in a very innocent way and come to a revelation uh, that said, I don't want to do that anymore, and and my heart speaks to me, and I'm convicted, and and we want to support that enthusiastically, say, man, God bless you. Take a stand. But in taking a stand, don't further alienate the lost. Right? So, so that's what I'm bringing to you tonight is during this month of Halloween and October, let's also remember that it had pagan and then it was all hallowed Eve, which you celebrated saints, which is just as evil as celebrating death. What? Yeah. No saint should be worshipped. No man or woman should be worshipped as a saint. Only God deserves to be worshipped. Amen? And so we look at these things and begin to put everything in this category. Here's a great illustration. It might be high time that we start reclaiming the things that we've let go so freely. Some of us are scared to have rainbows anywhere in our shirts or our clothing or our our facebook stuff because the rainbow is now associated with the alphabet soup movement i'm sorry i just can't say all the letters it's just too much the rainbow is god's idea right let's stop running and start taking background right there have been times where here's my suggestion and we won't do it formally because as soon as the church makes it formal, then people start feeling obligated and legal legalism takes hold and all that. Anyway, we used to do a halloween roast at our house every year. I would bring my grill out front, remember? Out front in my yard, and everyone would go get candy, and by the time they got to Andrew's house, we had this stupid wiener dog inflatable in our front yard, and we said it was a halloween roast, and everybody got free hot dogs and soda. And you know what? We prayed with people. And when we stopped doing it one year, we had people knocking on our door. Hey, what are we supposed to eat for supper? <laughs> They're standing in our yard like, sorry, guys. So I just encourage you, let's get a little creative and be the salt and light that Jesus has called us to be in the darkness of our neighborhoods and our world. Amen? Amen.
So I just wanted to put that out there for your consideration. Now let's talk about spiritual warfare. I can just go through my notes. Somebody asked me if I was going to talk about Israel tonight. I, 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 there's always more going on than you know. There's always spiritual implications. And so I won't talk about Israel per se, but you know what's going on over there is terrible. People are dying. Uh, gosh, I don't want to get on the Ukraine train, but I will say... The, the footage coming out of Israel is already way more than we've seen in years of what's happening in Ukraine. It's no less real there or here. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying what's happening there is truly, truly horrendous. And we need to be praying for Israel. Now, with that being said, I want us to steer our focus on the spiritual implications. Don't even try to do it, David. Don't even try to do it. This is for me. <laughs> I have teeny tiny things written up here. Um, and, and you don't need to take notes. This is really, I'm going to put it back and we're going to do the whiteboard and then you can do the camera, David, so be ready. Uh, but let me start with the territorial nature of Scripture and the demonic. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 3, Daniel's fasting for an answer from God. The angel Gabriel comes to Daniel, Daniel and says, I'm here now. To answer your prayer I was sent as soon as you started praying but I got held up by the prince of the kingdom of Persia Michael the archangel came and helped me and now I'm here so what we see here is Persia which is modern-day what Iran a spiritual demon power connected to Iran now what we find out from that alone is there's also spiritual powers mentioned in Scripture connected to Babylon, to Iran, to all of the ancient Greece, Rome. All of them have spiritual powers behind them, which, shocker, the people running the world have spiritual overlords running it through them. Agree or disagree? Can I blow your mind? The people that have been in seats of power that claim to be Christians are sometimes further from that than you would ever imagine. Some are, I, I'm not saying all, but some just know what to say and how to say it just to get you to buy into who they are as a politician. And I'm not just talking about our country, I'm talking about all over the world. And I'm talking about for thousands of years. There were Roman emperors that played that same trick. So we see the territorial nature of demons, and then we see what's happening in Israel and in Gaza and in Palestine, and we know that according to Scripture, I got a text from somebody that said, do you think World War III is about to happen? And I said, no, but let's go. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is coming soon. Amen? But uh, I really don't think that this is going to unravel to that point. However, Iran is the one starting to talk about, we want to come in. Let me tell you the things we've talked about in prophecy, I don't know how many times. As long as the United States is supporting Israel, there's, I don't think, I'm shocked to believe, I don't think there's anything that can happen to Israel as long as the United States has aircraft carriers parked outside. Are you with me? We are the protector, God-given, of Israel. God is, of course, the ultimate protector. But understand in biblical prophecy, the United States is not in there. At some point, the U.S. gives up and doesn't support Israel anymore. And that's when we become a non-issue in prophecy. Now, I say that to say this. I want to give you a comparison of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Along this line of territorial spirits, the Dominican Republic and Haiti are on the same geographical island, split basically in half. 
If you go to the Dominican Republic, you'll see a very different society and a very different nation than you will in Haiti. Here's why. Along the early 80s, late 70s, Haiti's government basically sold their soul. Voodoo became their national religion, and voodoo became rampant in the streets, Haiti. Since then, it has not been good. It's gone down, 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 down. Now, on paper, Haiti is 95% Christian, but it's a version of Christianity that mixes spiritualism, spiritualism, occultism, and so on. It, it really isn't a pure form of Christianity and followers of Jesus. Dominican Republic, in contrast, never did that in the 80s. They were founded on Christian principles, missionaries w that went in there. Um, under, the, <laughs> under the flag of conquest, you know, we, we in our society today speak very negatively of conquest, right? Would you agree with that? But you know, a lot of conquest was because of religion. Did you know that? The, the Christians... Uh, Christian church, Catholic primarily, but also Protestant, we want to go and bring and be missionaries. Now, what happened is the government and the religions were in together, and it ended up being more bad than good, but still, the Word of God accomplishes what it's set forth to accomplish, right? Now, all that being said, there is a GDP in Haiti of $9 billion today. In the Dominican Republic, the GDP is $67 billion. Same size, because there is 10.5 million people in the DR and 10.7 in Haiti. The difference is staggering. One has given their allegiance to evil, the other has not. The life expectancy in DR is 73 years, and in Haiti it's 63 years. The GDP growth in the DR is 5% a year, and in Haiti, it's less than 1%. Here's the shocker. The number one cause of death in the Dominican Republic is heart disease, which is like it is in most places in the world. The number one cause of death in Haiti is voodoo curses. When they go to the hospital and the doctors begin to work on them and nothing happens, the next thing they ask, do you have a curse on you? And when they say yes, the doctors stop. Haiti is plagued with darkness. But just over that in invisible line on the other side, the Dominican Republic is flourishing in comparison. Demonic power is real. And demonic power is set forth to steal, kill, and destroy. And thank God that under the surface, spiritually speaking, our nation still fears God. And we want to be actively fighting the principalities of darkness. Amen? Now, let's talk about this idea of demon possession uh, David put demon possession, oppression, and demonization up there for me. Demon possession is a word used a lot in talking about spiritual warfare. I will share with you a story and a question that I got from you today. Um, can I share the story? Okay. On a, uh, yep, huh? Oh, I don't have one of those. <laughs> um, let me see. A lady I know was on a cruise and found another woman reading a book. And <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> no, it's terrible, terrible, terrible version. Um, so, so basically, this lady was reading a book, and they were sitting there. She got frustrated because she, she couldn't read the book. She threw the book down, um, saw the, the title of the book, When God Had a Wife, and um, 
they, her husband, tell me her, your, her, your husband's name again. Yeah, Mike actually said, hey, you know God doesn't have a wife, right? So she became not just belligerent, but almost militaristic, like angry uh, with this response, a little bit of back and forth. And then the question was, what do we do? So my sense that it's going to lead us into is the demonic that involves people. First of all, you have this idea that people that want to be free will seek freedom. People that do not want to be free will push back against it. And sometimes when, you, when you're cold to the move of the Holy Spirit and the gospel and the truth for so long, it's no longer ignoring the truth, it's fighting against the truth. And that is what happened there, is that a little bit of light was kind of being brought in, and the darkness said, no, 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 we're not even going to entertain this. And so... Let's talk about this principle of demon possession, which actually is not in Scripture. It says that, but original languages of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, specifically Greek in the New Testament, demon possession speaks of ownership. You with me? If you possess something, then you own it. Now, what it's more accurate is demonization. We in uh, our circles, we say it's not demon possession, it's oppression. Well, even oppression sometimes doesn't describe it fully because that's more of a, when you picture it, it's like a, a sitting down or a pressing down. And sometimes it's, mu it's much more intense than that. So, ownership speaks of control, which is possession, but demonization is, listen, if you expose yourself on purpose to sin and to a lifestyle of sin and things like that, demons like to take hold and not let go. Do they own you? Now, for the believer, absolutely not. But can a believer be oppressed, demonized, taunted, attacked from a demon? Absolutely. I do not believe that the devil, the demon, can ever own you. What I mean by that, he can't make you do anything. As a believer, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Now, do you have a battle going on when you try to resist temptation or do what's right for God? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I want to make sure that we're clear with the terminology here that the devil doesn't own someone who has given their faith to Christ, that has a relationship with Jesus. That is a contrary statement. You cannot be a daughter or a son of the Most High God and be owned by the devil. Right? But you can, if you allow it, be demonized, be taunted, attacked, tempted, oppressed, and still be a believer on the Lord Jesus. So here's where it comes. You have to recognize it. And you have to know how to fight it. And then you have to know how to address it. So now we get into how to fight. Now, well, before I get any further, let's talk. Questions, comments. question is, do I think that uh, a demon can be in you when the Holy Spirit is also present? I don't think because of the way Jesus describes as a strong man comes into the house and clears out the one who is there, only one who is stronger can clear it out. And what he says is that that house is left clean and tidy. But if there's nothing to take place in there, the Holy Spirit, for example, and it's left empty, the demons go get their friends and come back and have a party. That's what Jesus is talking about. In your illustration, when we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus and receive salvation, we immediately get a deposit of the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? 
the Holy Spirit now abides with us as an abiding presence, which means it doesn't leave unless we kick it out, which gets into the eternal security conversation. So if we can, in our own common sense, just take a step back and understand that we can give our hearts to Christ and then walk away from him, not just in an accidental way, oops, lost my salvation, nobody's saying that. But I can guarantee you from personal experience and what I believe the scripture is clear about because Jesus constantly talks about enduring, enduring, enduring to the end. There is a possibility for us to say, I want nothing to do with you, Lord, anymore. That house is now empty. And that house can be occupied again from demonic powers. So that answers that question. Abba. Yes. Can I say, before we go any further, as a child of God, you are never to walk in fear. You do not have the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Sound mind speaks of your double-mindedness, speaks of your mental state. It's a mind after Christ. So you have that spirit. You do not have a spirit of fear. So talking about these types of things should never stir up fear but yet boldness to go and fight how to fight for you for others and for places we talked about the territorial nature of that i think we've got to first i want to have a conversation and this is where we're going to hope hopefully have some good talks um mark chapter one Verse 21, I'll give these guys a second. Mark chapter 1, verse 21, reading from the New Living Translation. We see Jesus uh, in verse 21, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day come, he went to the synagogue to begin to teach. People were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed, this word is demonized, remember, demonized by an evil spirit, began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus, cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and began to discuss what had happened. Going to Mark 5. We see another encounter, this with the demoniac. And in verse 6. It, first of all, the first few verses describe a man who's possessed, uh, demonized by demons, who was very strong and, and wandered the hills. And in verse 6, it says, When Jesus, still some distance away, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, this is the demon speaking. 
In the name of God, I beg you, don't, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to a distant place. In both cases, the person who was demonized or possessed in that scripture, in both cases, they approached Jesus. They, not meaning the person, but meaning the demon. What we've been used to understanding in spiritual warfare is that we chase them down. And then when we chase them down, we have to beg the person to allow us to speak to said demon inside of them. None of that happened. Is Jesus our model in all things or is he not? In these two stories, we see the power, let me just say it, the power of the Holy Spirit fooling the demons to run to the very one who could deliver the person. And so, in these two extreme cases, these people were literally controlled by these spirits. And yet, these spirits, so if they were smart spirits, they would hide behind the rock and wait for Jesus to pass by. You with me? But they didn't. One spirit went to church and found Jesus at church. That's what happened. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and they're having church, and, and great things are happening, and people are listening. And, and this person, the demon, brought this person in front of Jesus and said, Hey, why are you messing with us? <laughs> Jesus isn't messing with them. But the powerful anointing and the powerful spirit of the living God said, This one's going to get delivered today, and I'm going to make the very one that's trying to destroy him Bring him to the one who can deliver him. Now that's good stuff. We also find, if we continue to look, children who have been possessed. My daughter is possessed by a demon. My son has been uh, possessed by a demon. He's thrown into the fire often and he tries to hurt himself. These two cases. And in both cases, Jesus does not allow the demon to speak and immediately cast it out. So what I, what I want us to first understand about spiritual warfare is it's a knockout punch, or it should be. It's not, it shouldn't, I don't think, according to what I see, a long, drawn-out deliverance two-hour thing. Right? I believe that when we operate in faith and power of the Holy Spirit, that the demons have to do what we say. And I also believe, for the sake of having this conversation, that the demonic, try to say it correctly. What's the, what's the sin that brought the devil down? So, if a demon is brought onto a platform for an encounter, as long as they can stay up there and be allowed to stay up there, they're going to stay up there because guess what? The original sin of pride says, look at me. You with me? Jesus didn't allow them to talk. Jesus didn't allow them to stay. Jesus made quick work of the demonic. You with me? So I want us to understand in the spirit realm, we should expect that type of experience. Now, are you going to have people running up to you? I hope not. But at the end of the day, they do. You've got the authority of the living God within you. And the authority of the name of Jesus that drives them out. I, I, I want to I, I want to dispel the notion of allowing the demonic to manifest in such a way 
that it brings a show. The greatest show is that person has just been delivered. <laughs> right? And so, uh, how do you fight for you, for others, for places? Any, any comments or questions at that time? Oh, I need to get back to the kids being demon-possessed. I got to get back to that. But let's leave room for questions and comments right now, if you got any. Yes. No, no, I, I, yeah, no, I, I don't think the two are related. I think the entity, the demon, the demonic power over Persia, which the king of Persia had a demonic power behind it, is what I'm saying. And we read in scripture, that's princes and principalities of the air. So picture, if you would, what's happening in, in the air, in the heavens, there's always activity. We just don't see it. And so over in Persia, geographically speaking, uh, Daniel's over here in Babylon, right? And over in Persia, nearby, is this battle going on in the air. And uh, I don't think, but also time is relative in the spirit realm, so you could, you could have something there. Could three weeks, you think what you're asking is, could three weeks translate into 70 years in, in this realm? Possibly. It's a fun thought. Any other questions, comments? Okay, great. Go. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think so. I think they lost because they weren't. Um, and, and some of the Gospels say there's two that say fasting and prayer, and there's one that just says prayer. So what I think was happening there is that it could be, but I just don't see Jesus doing it that way. And I, th I, think, him, I think he's telling the disciples, if he'd have done it right, wouldn't have taken that long, <laughs> right? I could have done it right away. And, and as a matter of fact, they said they were frustrated with it, and some only come out in fasting and prayer. And there's other times they said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? So it's this combination, to use a, a very raw term, it's a cocktail of faith and prayer and spiritual strength at that moment that you're in the battle. So to answer your question, could it been a long, drawn-out battle and it didn't work? It didn't, quote-unquote, take? Maybe. Yeah, sure. I'll give you that. I'll concede that one time. Mark chapter 9, 
Mark chapter 9, the boy, verse 17. One of the men spoke up in the crowd. Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit and won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples, this is the one you're referring to, I asked your disciples uh, if they could cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. So picture, if you would, this scene, a crowd there. Jesus is there teaching. They bring the boy. Your disciples couldn't do it, so I brought him to you. Let's start putting some timelines on this. It only takes us a few seconds, less than a minute, to read the narrative, right? The demon makes the boy go crazy, spiritual temper tantrum. How many of you guys have been parents? What do you do in temper tantrums? Ignore them. Here's exactly what Jesus did. This is where we get that, to ignore temper tantrums. Probably not, but anyways. He threw him on the ground, grinds his teeth, becomes rigid, and asks the disciples, you faithless people. So they brought the boy when the evil spirit convulsion and all that. Verse 21. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. I'm the father. The boy's writhing on the ground. Jesus is here, brings the boy, writhing on the ground. So, how long has this been happening? Can you see it? Jesus, oh my, get the oil, get the towels, get the blankets. Somebody get me a catcher. How long has this been happening? We're about to deal with it. He replied, since he was a little boy. How, this makes me mad, how could a little boy be demon possessed exposure to evil at a young age witchcraft satanism luciferianism built within it is at a very young age they begin to expose them to ritualistic things and the devil loves it and takes the children in spiritually every way and I hate it I hate it because it's not the boy, it's the overseers, the parents, the guardians, whoever it might be, that have allowed this to happen. But Jesus is going to take care of business here. The boy, since he was a little boy, spirit throws him into the fire and tries to kill himself in the water. Have mercy on us, help us if you can. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asks. Anything is possible if a person believes. So in this instance, it wasn't the prayer, it was the belief that brought them into If they had a doubt that they couldn't do it because the boy was since a little boy. And so anything is possible to one who believes. The father instantly cried out, I love this prayer. I use this prayer. You should start using this prayer. I do believe, but help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he put it to bed. When he saw that the crowd was growing, the devil was not going to show out anymore. When he saw the crowd was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. In that moment, the demon was dealt with, the sickness was dealt with, the mind was dealt with, and the boy was made whole made whole in such a way that it says, then the spirit screamed and threw him boy into another violent convulsion a once, one more time and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people, as they said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet. He stood up. And then this is the text in verse 29, uh, verse 28. Afterward, when Jesus was alone, in the house of the disciples, they asked, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this can be cast out 
only by prayer. Now, in other, there's one gospel that says by fasting and prayer. What Jesus is saying is this, like Abba said, your prayer life, not a single prayer. If you are not a person of prayer and of discipline of prayer, then you don't need to be picking fights in the spirit realm. Don't let, okay, I'm going to go in here real quick and, get, and pray before I go. No, you need to be prayed up, armored up, ready to go. Amen? Now, let's talk about, I've been stuck on this concept of the way we do deliverance in the modern times. I'm stuck on it. I can't get off of it, and so we're just going to talk about it because I have the mic. But the way we do deliverance, we saw that a parent brought this child and then brought a daughter to the church. Then we already, already saw two other examples where the demon who controlled the person ran to Jesus. Our modern deliverance culture, if I could say it that way, is one where we feel bad or we feel I keep getting depressed, or I keep getting frustrated, or I keep lashing out in anger, or I keep doing this, or I keep doing that. I must need deliverance. So we go to a quote-unquote church service, revival service, tent meeting, and we ask, we need deliverance because I've identified that I'm a knucklehead, or I'm an idiot, or I'm always late to work. I must need deliverance. Now, I'm not saying that deliverance isn't something that people need. People need deliverance, yes. But I am saying Sometimes, as believers, we're quick to blame the devil for something that we can stop doing ourselves. It's called a foothold that became a stronghold that became you better let go of it before it destroys you. Amen? It's called discipline. It's called saying no to temptation again. Not saying, oh man, I must need deliverance because it hadn't happened yet, I can just keep doing it. Now, the problem we have is, is people walk around looking for demons behind every bush. And not every bush has a demon. Let me remind you that there are probably millions and millions and millions of angels. Only a third of them are demonic, are fallen. Only a third. Which means there's two-thirds that are still on our side. Right? And not only are the two-thirds on our side, can I just say, God himself is on our side through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think, church, if we can just accept this fact, that we have the power and the authority, and we've got to stop walking around like we're losing the battle. And when we have meetings and we have half of the congregation that feels like they need deliverance, Maybe all we need to do is say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe we just need an accountability group. Maybe we just need to wake up early and pray more than once a month. Maybe it's more simple than that. When I read about deliverance in the scripture, I read about people that are not just depressed from time to time or upset from time to time they have had some deep spiritual experience in the demonic that has put them into this ownership category of satan think of the slave girl that would walk around following paul let me also say that the devil uh, and his demons are they're, they're, they're strategic we don't want to make fun of them. In the, in the book of Jude, even Michael, when he was fighting for Moses, let's read that. That's a really cool. This is one of those scripture passages that you read and you stop for a minute and you go, what? And then you think, I need to look into that. And then you're like, no. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever get it. Jude. In verse 9 it says, but even Michael, one of the mightiest of angels did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy. But simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil over Moses' body. It's in the Bible, book of Jude. You really want to 
meditate on some things and read over and over and over again, just go to this one little one-chapter book right before Revelation and have fun. What I'm saying is, back to the showmanship argument, I'm weary, concerned of the videos that have taken hold online of quote-unquote deliverance preachers playing with demons. And a crowd of people laughing. This is not a laughing matter. This is warfare. It's tantamount to the Israeli army laughing as they fight for their life. It's not a laughing matter. And when we approach spiritual warfare that way, the Bible is clear that it is a serious thing. Now, should we have joy? Yeah, but don't be a fool and make fun of the devil. Did that mess up some of y'all? It's in there. We take authority over him. I wouldn't recommend that you go find a rattlesnake and poke it with a stick until you get bit. This is the game of playing, playing. This is, this is the danger of playing games in spiritual warfare. Take authority. Jesus didn't play games. <laughs> no, you can't talk. Come out of them right now. Let them speak. Let them see. Let them hear. Be cast out. Go into the pig. Jesus didn't play games. The demons and the devil is not someone that we are to have a conversation with. You with me? It's a firing. You don't go into a firing if you're in a position of authority and make fun of them while you're firing them. Right? It's not working? Go on down the road. Spiritually speaking, we have that same authority over the devil and his demons, and we take authority, and we move on. Now, what was I talking about? Kids. I talked about kids, how to fight. We're going to keep going with this for uh, next week as well. Yeah. Sure, go. Right, no, I, I, no I, think, I think that was a strategy to glorify God and to set a precedent in the authority. So when you see they ran to Jesus thinking that Jesus was going to allow to leave them alone, but in essence, it was kind of a, a strategy. Spiritual warfare is a strategy, right? And so what I believe is the darkness is not running to the light, but they got fooled. They got caught. So back to the thing. If you know you're going to be in trouble, would you run to the person that you're going to get in trouble from? Or would you hide? I skipped school one time, maybe more than once. And I was sitting at the stoplight. I was having lunch at another high school because I liked the people there better at that time. And I was sitting at the stoplight, and then my dad, I'm sitting here, and my dad pulls up in his preacher car and I'm sitting there in my car and I look at him and looked at me and looked at him and looked at me and then I backed up and I drove to the back of the parking lot and I ran into the trees <laughs> and my dad would drive with one finger and and uh, he put he turned in he drove over there he parked right in front of my car he put it in park and turned the car off lo rolled the windows down and sat there, and I'm looking through the bushes. <laughs> About 15 minutes went by, and I knew the gig was up. I knew I was in trouble. I wouldn't run to him and say, hey, Dad, Dad, I, I skipped school, just so you know, because you know what's going to happen? All right, buddy, you're in trouble now. So I think, I think that the Holy Spirit drove them, because honestly, God's in charge of all of it anyway, right in front of Jesus, so Jesus could display his power 
over the demonic because in both of those cases uh, with the demoniac the whole town heard about it and with the first case everybody was amazed who is this man who teaches with such authority and power right and so i think that was a strategy i just gave you a little story about my childhood yep Yes. Amen. Amen. And uh, I want to say real quick, Friday, next Friday night, we have the worship, our worship night, the soaking. It's, it's going to be an awesome, awesome time to get refilled and refreshed and filled with the Holy Ghost. Yep. Yeah, the slave girl. I was going to use that one, and I forgot about it. The slave girl was following Paul around day after day after day. Paul didn't do anything, and Paul got frustrated and said, stop. And the, the, the demon left her, the spirit left her, and Paul got in trouble because that's how they were making money. The spirit of divination was upon her. Now, this was a slave girl, which shows me this, if I could just say this. We don't know her age. We know she was owned by someone else. And somehow, some way, this person that owned her either found she had this, I'm going to call it a curse, not a gift, curse, and used it for their benefit, for profit, or so far to say they could have taken her somewhere, done some type of a occult ceremony to implant that in her, spiritually speaking, as well. Remember, in the ancient world, they were all worshiping demons. Only the Jewish people were acknowledging the one true God. It was all of the mythology and Greek mythology and, and Roman gods and all of that. Caesar propped himself out himself up as God. And they all worshiped other entities. And Jesus steps on the scene as God in the flesh and starts cracking skulls and 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 setting people free uh can i have three minutes to go through this and then i've got a whole bunch more we'll do next week and i only got one email with a question so if you have questions email me and we'll go into more stuff three minutes how to fight for you stay prayed up that's the easy be filled with the holy ghost and stay prayed up make it a daily discipline even when you don't feel like it. That's actually the most important time you should do it. When you don't feel like it, there's something coming against you to keep you out of that prayer closet. Amen? Now, let, let's not get weird about it. You don't have to pray for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening like Abba probably does. We did this whole thing, and if you've been around for more than a month or two, we did this whole thing, prayer at the 7. 7 a.m., give it seven minutes. 7 p.m., give it seven minutes. Start there. Prayer for others. Pray with authority. When you see something happening that doesn't make sense, like you described, if it doesn't make sense, it's probably spiritual in nature, and you need to pray against that. Don't pray against the person. Pray against the spirit behind the issue. Amen? You could spend all day praying against the person, but you know what you're doing? You're cursing someone do not be that person pray against the spirit behind the issue not the person amen and then for places listen we can take all kinds of spiritual principles jesus sent out the disciples to go in every village the ones that don't receive knock the dust off your feet and go to the ones that will joshua set a precedent in that story of marching around jericho taking the land God told Joshua that every, everywhere you put your foot will be yours. So we have this territorial anointing about us. Walk your neighborhood and pray in the Spirit. Pray for a breakthrough. Walk your school. Walk your work hallways. Walk and pray. There's something about moving because if demons are territorial, guess what? When you start walking around, you move into their space. 
And when you move into, your, into their space, the light has penetrated the darkness, and the darkness has to flee. And so you can fight for places. Have you ever walked into a place and feel, oh? So could I just argue for just a moment, instead of running out of there, take a moment and stake a claim. Put a flag in the ground and say, whatever's here in the name of Jesus has to flee. Amen? Amen. Now, there's more practical stuff about all of that, uh, but that's just a two-minute version. If you do have questions about spiritual warfare next week, we'll talk about the structure of the spirit realm. We'll talk about the principles and principalities fighting in the spirit realm in more detail. And then the week after that, we'll talk about angelology, demonology, and we'll get a handle on all that. And man, it's going to be fun. I hope there's more than just me here. I'm going to have fun. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, guys. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for the day, for the opportunity we've had to talk about these things. I pray you'd give us a a spirit of boldness and uh, just of incredible strength, faith, help our unbelief, and help us, God, to walk in clarity of mind and in confidence of spirit to know that we can win victory after victory after victory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.